If I have not had a chance to cross paths with you or if you're joining us online, my name is Chris Peters, one of the pastors here at Community, and I'm just glad to be with you all here this morning. One of the realities of our journey together each week is that we get to turn to the scriptures and continue to learn what God wants us to do as we get shaped and formed into the people of God he desires us to be. As we journey right now, we're journeying through the book of Matthew. And one of our tasks as we journey through the Gospels again and again every spring is to sort of learn Jesus, to have our lives as we open this word to be shaped by the life of Jesus, by the teaching of Jesus, and by the example of Jesus, and sort of again and again immerse ourselves into what Jesus desires us to be to sort of marinate our lives with these words so that you and I can be more and more like Jesus. Today we get to turn into the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9. And we're going to focus on sort of the heart and the compassion of Jesus and the undeniable authority that this Scripture talks about with Jesus. And so this morning, I invite you, as I read, to hear the Word of God. Starting at verse 18 in Matthew chapter 9, it says this. While he was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before Jesus and said, My daughter has just died, but come. Put your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus got up and went with him and so did his disciples. But just then as he was journeying, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. And she said to herself, if only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. And Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. And when Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house, he saw the noisy crowd and the people playing pipes. And he said, go away. This girl is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. And after the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand. And she got up. And news of this spread throughout all the region. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out and said, Have mercy on us, son of David. And when he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him. And he asked them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. And then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. And Jesus warned them sternly, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread news about him all over the region. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. And the crowd was amazed and said, Nothing like this has ever been done in Israel, has been ever seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, It's by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. And it says this, Jesus went throughout all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, 
proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning, I'd like to share a story. It says, a farmer was out plowing his field one spring morning. The spring had thaw had just occurred, sort of near the time like we are in now, starting to come, hopefully. And there are many muddy valleys in the field. And one particularly wet place, his tractor became stuck in the mud. Harder he tried, the more he got stuck. And finally, he walked over his neighbor's house for help. And the neighbor came over and looked at the situation, shook his head, and said, well, it does not look good, but I'll tell you what. I'll give it a try in pulling you out, but if we don't get out, I'll come and sit in the mud with you. The undeniable message of all these encounters that we just read is that Jesus came to care, that our God is compassionate. And when Jesus was doing ministry on this earth, Jesus embodied God's compassion, not divorced from the Father, but that Jesus embodied the compassion that the triune God has for us. You know, in the Sermon of the Mount a few weeks ago, we heard Jesus speaking boldly, boldly, boldly about the kingdom of God. And now in these chapters, Matthew 8, which we've been in for the last couple of weeks, and 9, we see the power of that new kingdom that Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount realized in people's lives. And in chapter 9, Jesus encounters several people who are at a desperate place in their life. And it says later on, that that I just read at the end, says Jesus' heart went out to them. Or he had compassion on them. And we would say Jesus' heart went out to them. Or even that his heart broke for them would be maybe appropriate in our words. But in the Hebrew, they talk sort of about the emotions being seated in the bowels. And so maybe it would be more appropriate for us to say Jesus' guts were churning as he saw these suffering people. First is Jairus. We learn about that from the other Gospels. A synagogue leader who came to Jesus asking for healing for his daughter who had just died. He was probably responsible for administration in the temple, the building, the worship plans, getting people to preach, running the weekly school. He had a high position, but at this moment he was desperate, not worried about his dignity at the loss of his daughter. And he reached out to Jesus, even knelt down, sort of just plopped himself down before Jesus in that desperate state and reaching out to Jesus in faith. And I can't imagine that. If you're a parent, there's nothing worse than thinking about losing a child. I've had a chance in the last year or two to walk with some people who lost a child, and I've seen firsthand the pain and the journey and the grief of that reality. And it says that Jesus' heart went out to him, and he was moved with deep, deep, deep compassion for the father, and he went off towards the house. 
And on his way through the crowds, a desperate woman who had had a flow of blood for 12 years, maybe some kind of menstrual problem, she reached out to Jesus throughout the crowd in a bold move, in a desperate move, because in that day, maybe you've heard this before, bleeding made you unclean. And you're not around to go around other people. You were meant to be stayed separate. So she was untouchable. And anyone else who had a bleeding disorder like that or any other kind of blood would be unclean. Part of it was around a hygienic thing back then, but it also became such a stigma that people were ostracized and sort of untouchable. And they would have no ability to do a normal life. Now, you may not know, but the penalty for entering the temple while unclean ranged from getting 40 lashes to being stoned to death. But the woman didn't care, I don't think. And she broke through because she was desperate. And she had faith enough to reach out to Jesus. And he had compassion on her. He said, take heart, daughter. He notices her. He sees her. Your faith has made you well, and he heals her. You know, perhaps her situation seemed hopeless. But Jesus' power changed a hopeless situation. And a point for us, maybe not to miss this morning, is lots of things in this story. This is that if you are in a hopeless spot, reach out to Jesus. Don't worry about how. But reach out to Jesus. And I know Jesus will respond. Sometimes through his word, sometimes through other people. But I know that one of the messages God wants us to hear this morning, you and I, is that Jesus sees us and Jesus cares. And Jesus is willing to enter in. You know, there's something also really cool and different at work here because in that time, people stayed away from people who were unclean because they didn't want to be unclean. But rather, because Jesus is doing a new thing, a new wineskin, a new work, completing the work of God in the Old Testament and fulfilling in what he brings, Jesus isn't afraid of being made unclean. Rather, he touches her and makes her whole. So instead of being infected by her, he infects her with this new kingdom reality that is at work. And maybe this morning you need to hear, if you have a situation that seems unchangeable, that's lingered too long, Jesus can bring new hope and purpose. And so we go on to the next encounter. Jesus arrives finally at the house of Jairus, where the daughter was already dead. It seemed too late. The professional mourners were there, the people who... who Okay, when we go to mourn, we're quiet. When we go to visitations, we're quiet. When, in this moment, they were loud, and they were wailing, and they were upset. This is a tragic situation for a young girl to die. And the crowd laughs when Jesus says she's just asleep and underscores the greatness of this miracle. And you know, Jesus just simply went and took her hand also, not afraid of being unclean, because if you touched a dead body, that would make you unclean, but rather Jesus raised the dead girl. 
And maybe another truth we need to claim this morning is that when it seems too late for anyone to help, and probably all of us have been there at some point in our life, when it seemed like we're too far gone, situations too set, maybe we need to hear this morning that there is no circumstance beyond the reach of Jesus and the power of the Savior. Your needs, which we're tempted to think are a barrier to coming to God, your needs are a pathway to faith and hope and new life and healing in Him. Crawford Loritz, a preacher that uh, does different ministries around the area, he's connected with the No Regrets Ministry, tells the story of a man who was a master chess player who was walking down the streets of Manhattan and came across an art gallery with a painting with two players playing chess, and it was called Checkmate. And as he looked at the picture, you could see that the pieces were arranged, that it seemed that one of the players in the painting was, had his pieces arranged to have the other person's king in Checkmate. But as he looked at it more and more, it bugged him, it bugged him a lot. And he, he went and he looked at it and he went away and it just sort of kept bugging him. He went back a couple more times and he finally went in and said, you know what, this picture is not right. He said, you know, the painting is wrong. There is one more move. And maybe the lesson for that for us is that when you're at those spots, I've been at those moments, you've been at those moments, is that God always has another move, another option. And God's never out of options. And I truly believe this morning, I don't know who's listening, whether you're listening online or whether you're listening here, I know Jesus can heal broken relationships, can bring freedom and release from addictions. He can bring hope where there seems no hope. He can be, bring healing to past trauma or emotional wounds. And like the others in the story, reach out in faith. And if you have a situation right now that you're in that looks hopeless, remember, Jesus can do the impossible. We follow a resurrected Savior. So now another encounter. Two blind men following Jesus, crying out, Son of David, recognizing that he's the Messiah. Or, or speaking of him as if he's the Messiah. And they say, have mercy on us. And they were desperate as well. They recognized him. Jesus asked them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Jesus probes them a little about what they're seeking and what they want. But they were persistent. Nothing stopped them. And Jesus opened their eyes. And after Jesus opened the eyes of the blind persons, they brought him a man who was demon-possessed and mute. And when Jesus cast out the demon, <clears throat> there was these two different responses from the people. The crowd marveled and said, we've never seen anything like this in Israel. 
The Pharisees, though, in a foreshadowing perhaps of what's to come and the conflict in Jesus' authority and his threat to their authority, says he casts out demons by the ruler of demons. He sort of plants that seed like Jesus is a... a, N.T. Wright said they're planting the seed like Jesus is a double agent. He's really evil. But Jesus warned them not to spread this news. And we may wonder, why would Jesus warn the blind people not to spread the news? Because I think in that day there was a temptation for people to look to Jesus only for miracles and for cures to their immediate issues. And some people even twisted the meaning of those miracles and attributed them to wrong causes. But one of the things we need not to miss is that Jesus' ability to give sight to the blind was one of the markers of a coming Messiah, prophesied in the book of Isaiah. And also in this gospel, blindness is sort of looked at as a sign of spiritual ignorance. So there's this incredible irony right now in this passage as we read this encounter with the blind men. The blind men really see him as the son of David, and the leaders who should recognize him don't see him accurately and are threatened. They can't see who Jesus really is. So one of the things as we learn Jesus, as I talked about in the beginning, is that we need to see Jesus teaching us that he was not an untouchable celebrity. He was not an untouchable, unapproachable deity. He got his hands dirty. And maybe today... Far too often we have an image of God that sort of seems to indicate that God is somehow remote, stern, unfeeling, unbending, an impersonal force or a power. But today I think this scripture and many others, we need to realize that Jesus isn't just some irrelevant historical figure who doesn't relate to us in the modern world. These are just nice stories. He he has experienced every human frailty and vulnerability. He's for everyone. He has the answers to life's most pressing problems. And he understands us. He gets us. Jesus sees. Jesus cares. But he did not just come to sit in the mud with us. Jesus loves you just as you are, and I hope that you can feel that and hear that and experience that this morning, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. You know, all these miracles pointed to Jesus' contagious compassion, that his compassion was so contagious and infectious that people were drawn to him and that what he brought could transform a person, a community, a movement, But one of the things we need to know is that all these miracles of chapter 8 and chapter 9 are pointing to Jesus' undeniable authority as the Son of God. Even refers to himself as the Son of Man, which is a very divine title in the book of Daniel. 
But all along, Jesus wanted to do a greater work and take care of the thing that affects all of us, which is death, and bring eternal life and take care of our sin problem and the reality and the pain of death. But people kept looking to Jesus for immediate miracles on earth. But all those miracles are means to demonstrate that Jesus was back then and is now God. Jesus did not want us to lose focus of his mission and ministry on earth. There was a song a number of years ago by Michael W. Smith called, his, it was called Secret Ambition. And the, and the, the punchline of the song was is that nobody knew his secret ambition was to give his life away to finally conquer death and the power of sin. 100% of the people that Jesus healed and raised and delivered all died. And the point of this passage is not the miracles. The point is the Messiah. We see Jesus' authority in action. These miracles are the proof that he is the Christ, that he is the Lord over disease, that he is the Lord only the Lord over death, that Jesus is Lord over the evil one. And in these new wineskins that are coming with Jesus' new work in the world, that Jesus has come to introduce a new kingdom. He's coming to do something new in the lives of God's people, that death is defeated, disease is defeated, the demons are defeated. And all these miracles were a foretaste that points to the coming kingdom when all things will be set right, all diseases will be healed. And all these miracles point to the ultimate victory that Jesus Christ has won. And I don't, I'll just be honest, because I know this is hanging out there. I don't understand why Jesus heals some and doesn't heal others. It says in this passage that he healed all their diseases. In my experience, he hasn't done that for me yet. There were things with my father in his early onset Alzheimer's that I pleaded that did not happen when I was a young child. There's things that are going on in my life now that I don't understand why they're not just completely healed. But I want you to know the greater thing for all of us is that Jesus shows us that God cares, that God moves, God is willing to enter into this world and get dirty, and Jesus wants to bring you healing and wholeness, and he took care of your greatest problem, which is our reality of sin and overcoming the sting of death. Now, this chapter concludes with this sort of summary saying over chapters 8 and 9 in the gospel. And it says, Jesus looked out at the crowds and he had compassion. He was moved in his bowels. And Jesus says, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the labors are few. So not only did Jesus care, not only did he heal, he taught and preached. But he also said, I can't do this work alone. He needed others to help him. And he requested that his disciples pray. That's one of our works as we follow God is to pray that God would provide 
the needed workers. In Matthew 9, 35 to 38, he calls and says, pray that God will send out workers into the harvest field. And he invited us to pray because I think when we pray, when we learn Jesus, we learn to see as he sees. We learn to feel like he feels and to do, to be empowered to do what he did. And I think this morning God is looking for humble people who have experienced and been transformed by his grace, who've experienced that new life, that restoration, who know the transforming power that only Jesus can bring. He invites us to join in to what he's doing. Jesus says that they were like a sheep without a shepherd. And he draws on a long tradition that describes Israel and Israel's leaders as the shepherds of the people. And he's pointing out a glaring failure of Israel. They're supposed to be the shepherds. They're the ones who are being ones who are able to care for the sheep. They're blessed to be a blessing. That's what leaders and followers are supposed to be like. Good and faithful shepherds who care for the needs of their flock, but they're not. Which is why Jesus implores his disciples to pray and to ask for laborers to go out. Because when Jesus looks at the world, he sees possibility, he sees need, he sees a harvest of people searching and wondering and looking for meaning. And he knows that his kingdom and his life and his person, Jesus, can bring that hope. And there's simply so much need in the world, there's more people needed. And the question for you and for me is how are we going to respond? Because I believe we're called to courage and care. Because once we experience God's grace, we, are, we will grow our God will grow our compassion for those who've not experienced his grace yet. Those are the kind of the people that Jesus is looking for. And the question for us is, are you the one? Am I the one? Elton Trueblood, in his book, Yoke of Christ, talks about this letter that he received from a young girl who was probing the depths of her heart. And she writes, I've been thinking this year about the importance of caring and the passion of life. I've often realized that it takes courage to care. Caring is dangerous. It leaves you open to hurt and looking like a fool. And perhaps it's because they've been hurt so often that people are afraid to care. But you can't die if you're not alive. And who wants to be a stone? I have found many places in my life where I keep a secret score of indifference as a sort of self-protection. You know what? That's an honest insight. There is no doubt in modern life today that it's easier if you don't look, if you don't see, if you don't 
care. And let's face it, you can do life in this modern world without interacting with many people or seeing many people. I think I even heard of somebody who tried to go through a week by not interacting with anyone by just using automated tellers and automated checkout machines. You can go through life today in modern America and not have to encounter too many people either online or whatever. And Maybe Jesus this morning is challenging all of us to say, that's not how my people are called to live. Because it's always been God's plan that we join him in his kingdom work. That we become more Christ-like, that we learn Jesus and dedicated to participating in modeling Christ's transforming love, his person, his his love personally in our own lives and communally in our neighborhoods and in our communities and in our world. So, so if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're willing to follow Jesus on his terms and not just your terms, if you're wondering why you're here, God needs you to be because there's a little corner of the world that needs what you have to offer by what God's doing in Christ in you and through you. God calls us to be like salt, to preserve and to protect. God calls us to be like leaven, to transform situations, to be like a flickering candle that shines hope against the darkness. Now I know that there are times that you felt like the people in this story the people that Jesus tends, harassed and helpless, twisted and maybe turned upside down by the challenges of this world, and longing for guidance from the shepherd. There are plenty of times that I also know that you and I are called to be like a laborer, to work with the shepherd, to tend his flock, to gather the harvest, to see the broken people and searching souls and offer whatever you and I have that God might use it to meet their need. You know, I love the things that our church does here at Community. Planting churches, the food pantry that happens once a month every first Thursday, the building of homes, the proclaiming of the good news, calling people to Jesus. But you know what? Caring is not just a formal, organized endeavor that happens through organizations like the church. We're called as followers of Jesus to embody that in our own lives. And I have this quote from Elton Trueblood. It says, evangelism is not the professional job for just a few trained people, but instead it is the unrelenting responsibility of every person who belongs to the company of Jesus. Those are hard words. Challenging. And I'm going to share with you as I close this final story that I heard a couple weeks ago. We had a gathering of men for the No Regrets Conference. We were a live stream conference here. And the final speaker was Stephen Carter. And man, he, he had 24-hour notice that he was speaking because somebody got delayed in the winter storms. And he told a story that has just stuck with me. He talks about being on vacation in Hawaii where he was in this compound in sort of a lagoon where there were several uh, resorts together. And, you know, it's the kind of lagoon where you can go out and you can put your face in the water and see all kinds of fish. 
at low tide. But while he was sort of on vacation, sort of back in his condo, he heard someone yelling out, help, help. And what had been low tide had become high tide in Hawaii. That's a dangerous reality. And so I think he says he put on his inner David Hasselhoff and he ran and jumped a few fences and some hedges and ran out and swam out and rescued this woman. And he got back to the beach and I think a guy said, hey, way to go, bro. You know, like, (laughs) I can't do it as good as he did. And he was feeling pretty good, but then he turned around and he looked and he, he saw all these people in the condos and in the resorts looking out over Lagoon with their arms folded. And God started working on him and he said, you know what, Steve, you know what, you're willing to risk your life to save someone who's drowning in the water, but in your everyday life, you're like those people Just being a bystander, watching without responding. And maybe all of us this morning need to hear that challenge. I don't want to be a bystander when God's bringing a transforming work in this world. I don't want to be a bystander. I want to help people know and know Jesus and be the hands and feet of Jesus. I don't care how old you are. There's a reason. There's a, something that God can do. A corner of this world that God can change and bring a light and a hope and meaning and purpose to somebody. Would you be open today to pray, to kneel, and to recognize what the disciples are going to recognize is that maybe they're the answer to the prayer for sending out workers into the harvest. And maybe Jesus says the same to you and I, that we're the answer to some needs in the world. To be open to God's nudges. To be open and say, here I am, God, send me. So I don't know where you are today. Maybe you're weary what I would say is you're just done. You're just over it. Maybe you're desperate and helpless. Or on, or on the other hand, maybe you're feeling very blessed and prepared and eager and wondering what God wants to do with you. My invitation to you, God's invitation to you this morning, is to simply come to him in humble submission, to reach out to him however you can, And the Lord of the harvest and the sheep of the shepherd will respond to you just where you are. For the harvest is still plentiful. Will you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, for those who are listening, I pray that someone may know this morning that you are not absent, but you are fully present in whatever situation is going on. And I pray, Lord, that you may show them your love and your care and your power. Jesus, when we're desperate, help us. 
When we're prepared, send us. When we're lost, guide us. And when we know the way, I pray you would use us to show others the hope and the life and the power found in Jesus alone. And in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.